So if you have your Bibles ready, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 16. And you might be thinking, is there one? We missed a lot. We've, we were doing Samuel 7, and now we're jumping all the way to 16. So don't worry about it. It's okay. It's not that it's not important. Number one, we only have three weeks in which to look at the passage. So I've got to pick. I've got to be choosy. I've got to pick what's God saying. Um, but also, 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 uh, what is happening here is so relevant and so important for who we are as a people and our discipleship journey. So for those of you who are relatively new among us, firstly, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. But we've been on a journey of mission and now discipleship. And this message today kind of brings it together for me. It helps us understand what God wants us to do. Because you see, at the end of the day, God can use anyone, can't he? Thank you. <laughs> Back in 2007, when I began in ministry, I used to say, God could take his little pinky and pop it down here in our region and all of, all of the people would see it and recognize that God is in control, God is real, and God is here. But he chooses not to do that. What does he do instead? He uses you and he uses me. In our flaws, and in our weaknesses, in our, in our low understanding, in our priorities, in our motivations. He uses us. And here's the kicker. Are you ready? He takes great joy in seeing his children carry out his work. Yes, he could send angels. He could send gifted and inspiring preachers. He even once sent a donkey. <laughs> it's true. But no. The great miracle of our Lord, greater than the parting of the Red Sea, greater than bringing back to life the dead, greater than casting out demons, greater than, than building things up through His creative power and work, greater than all of that, is the capacity to love His children, you and I, Though we are sinners and say that sin that you have in your heart, I'm going to choose to ignore that enough to bring you in into me. This is why we say we are the family of God. This is why we say we are children of God. I don't know about you, but when I say that, this is not a throwaway phrase. And here's the kicker. Well, no, I've already used that phrase. Here's the thing. <laughs> Often... Often, we look around and we go, Oh God, I'm not that great. Use him. Use her. Do that. What do you think God says? Nah. <laughs> and it's not the Australian, yeah, nah. <laughs> it's a nah. No. Nah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. He doesn't want to. He wants to use us and he wants us to be ready to put our hands up and say, God, we are ready to go. We are ready to be used. And, you know, I don't want to be critical of the other churches we have in our local area. But we have some ambition in this church, don't we? We have some things we want to do. In this community, we're looking around and we're like 10,000 homes by 2023, 2032. Easy. <laughs> Let's preach the gospel. Let's go out there and share with them the love of God. 
And yes, God could use the other bigger, more prettier, attractive churches with preachers who don't have an accent. You heard me. But he has chosen, at least for the moment, to empower us and equip us and, and put that challenge upon us. And when I was reading this passage, that's what I saw. So I don't have a sermon illustration today. No. For my sermon illustration, instead, turn to the person on your left. Turn to the person on your right. There's your sermon illustration. There they are. The imperfect, sometimes flawed, amazing, beautiful. Yes, you are beautiful. Don't, don't say no. Okay. Well equipped for the task at hand. Child of God. That is there beside you. There is your sermon illustration. And my prayer and hope is that by the end of this message... You'll get that and you'll understand that not just here, but here as well. You with me, church? Let us pray. Father God, speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak to our soul. Let us hear, know and understand that we are your children. And despite all our flaws, despite the fact that the world may look past us for those who are taller or prettier, that Lord, we know that you have chosen us and anointed us for this task. So bless us, we pray in your son's name, with an understanding of this. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. So, we see that uh, Samuel goes out there, and all the leaders of Israel are gathered together at Ramah. And they said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to judge us. I've inserted the word judge there because traditionally that is what our translation said. And I wanted you to understand that Israel was confused. They were what? This is really important for us to know because the world out there is also confused. They mistake being a good person with being a Christian. These are not the same. They mistake doing well and having knowledge and wisdom with being a godly person. These are not the same, at least not according to Scripture, not according to the Bible. And if we hold up Scripture and say, this is the standard, this is the banner, this is the flag for which we are ready to give our lives, then we need to realize this, people. To be a Christian begins with an acknowledgement of the sin in my life, my weakness, my shortcomings, my issues. And looking at the one who is greater than me. And yet is able to forgive. Able to redeem. So we shouldn't. We shouldn't begin by looking at it from a position of. Hey they know better. Therefore we're going to receive from them. I want to tell you something. For a long time in our seminaries. We have been teaching pastors to be businessmen. And women. And I take umbrage to that. I went through that process myself. And it was wonderful. It was fascinating. It was interesting to read about these great business leaders, particularly from the United States, who embedded faith into their business practices, 
But I'm sorry, it's the other way around. Pastors should be influencing them, not the other way around. And pastors should be in a position and in a place where we can say, hey, you know what? What we're doing is we're doing in the following of God. Not because we want to sell a product. Not because we want to convince people of an idea. The Bible is not something that I am going to convince people with. Have you heard the expression Bible thumping or Bible bashing? That is what that means. It means to get the Bible and then you see someone standing over there and you smack them over the head with it. I wonder how effective that actually is. Meanwhile, you look at your advertising campaigns. That's exactly what they do. They're on your phone. They're on the billboards on the street when you drive. They're in the shopping mall. That is what that is. That is what that principle is. And we're starting to see what? Advertising campaigns on our phone for churches. We're starting to see what? Billboards about churches. With no substance. They don't say anything about what the church does or says. It's just a picture of a pretty person, usually holding an instrument of some kind, a guitar or a violin or a microphone. And then it says the name of the church and a website and a QR code and that's it. That somehow becomes enough to convince you that this is a good church. Where is the cross? Where are the people? Where is the conviction and the understanding that God is in control and in charge in that space? Now don't get me wrong, really great churches are doing this. Great churches that if that billboard works and you walk in, you will experience the presence of God. You will experience the love of Him. But it is not something that is being advertised out there because you cannot smack people over the head with the Bible and hope that they'll go away thanking you for it. Israel was confused. They wanted a king to judge them in the same way that the judges had done before. They thought that the way how the judges had followed the Lord and had listened to God, a king would do the same. So they come along and they say, we want a king to judge us such as all the other nations have. They didn't want what God had done. They wanted something that copied what everyone else had. They wanted the same Pokemon cards that the other countries had. That's what they wanted. This displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but me that they have rejected as their king. Do you hear the pain in what God is saying here to Samuel? His people were not listening to him, only Samuel. And so he tells his servant, his son, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. That's the first thing I want you to hear, people. Because if we are God's sons and daughters, we need to recognize that when the world rejects, it is not us. It is Him. It is Him at work in us. Now sometimes that is very cold comfort, especially on a morning like this. But we need to recognize and acknowledge the fact that God at work for some people is a great affront and offense. And instead, what they want is they want good, pleasant, nice stories that will make them feel nice. But no, friends, when God is at work, whether it be in an individual or in a community, as he was here, 
It challenges us to be better. It challenges others to look at us and say, how is it that you have this joy in your life and where does it come from? And when you say it's from the Lord, they think, oh, that's just a crutch to get you by. Really, the creator of this world is a crutch? The one who knits us together in our mother's wombs is a crutch? So can you see how I say they're confused? They're confusing goodness with righteousness. Wisdom with godliness. But Paul says, show me the wise man of this age and I will show you a fool. For I would much rather God's foolishness, not that God has any foolishness, than the wisdom of this world. This, my friends, is part of why God has called you and me. Not because of how well we sing, of our really great rock solid theology, of our attractiveness to those out in the world. But because he knows that these hearts are ready to be used for him. We have not rejected him as our king, have we? That's the important part. So then, so then, thank you. (laughs) My clicker isn't working. Try now. So then we look at who they chose. They chose Saul. Saul's father, Kish, he was leader in his tribe. Saul was the natural next choice for the leader there. He was handsome and a head taller than everyone else. You will see a bit later on. At one point, they're looking for Saul. He's in the crowd. And they're like, where is he? Bip. That's the guy. (laughs) The one who was taller. Saul was looking for lost donkeys with a servant. His father had lost the donkeys. And he sends his son to go and look for him. And he sends a servant along with him. So Saul is still the master. And he's there and he's looking for these donkeys. Samuel came to Saul. And the Lord nominated nominated him. Saul didn't go to Samuel. Samuel had to go to him. And Saul, after he had been anointed, then joined the prophet's in prophesying. He came out to a very public place and started exercising this very public ministry. Here we have the list and the marks of a popular person. And that's exactly what Israel asked for. So God gave them what they wanted. And all the marks were there. Now, those of you who have studied your Bibles know That Saul came to a sticky end. He was not the kind of king that God wanted ultimately for his people. But he was the king that the people wanted. And God graciously answered their prayers. In 1 Samuel 10 verses 17 to 19. Samuel summons the people of the Lord at Mizpah. The same place where the ark of the Lord had been dumped. (laughs) By the Philistines. I want you to record that. I want you to have that in your mind. The Israelites had rejected God. And when they had rejected God, he said, okay, fine, then I'll take my presence from you. Philistines came and took the Ark of the Covenant. Israelites went, oh, no. 
Our totem, our national symbol is gone. We want it back. The Ark of the Covenant did a whole bunch of naughty things. You can read about it. It's like the Bart Simpson epilogue of the, <laughs> of the Ark of the Covenant there in Samuel. Because a, a lot of nasty stuff happened there. And they were like, what's going on? Oh, it's the Ark of the Covenant doing these things. So the Philistines come along and they dump it. They literally push it. They have this cart. They stick it on the back of the cart. And the cart goes and they dump it off the back of the cart at Mizpah. And everyone's too afraid to pick it up and put it away properly. Yes, that's right. It is, it is a place where it reminds us that God's people had rejected him, but God was still ready to come back to his people, even though they chucked him to the ground. So he gathers them there in this place. At this point, the tent of the covenant had been moved. And the people are gathering together and he says to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought Israel up out of Egypt. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and the kingdoms that oppressed you. But now you have rejected your God who saves you out of all these houses and calamities and have said, no, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. And that's when they started looking. So this is interesting for me. Because everything that happened with Saul beforehand had already happened. Saul had already been anointed. He had already been prophesying. But now, now Samuel wants the people to, quote unquote, choose their king. And how did they do it? They grouped all the people together and they went, boop, that one. And it just so happened that that was Saul. So for Samuel, that was a confirmation. God had given the people exactly what they wanted. And friends, sometimes that is a hard thing for us to receive. It is hard for us to go to God and say, Lord, I want this, but it's got to be just so. Here's my list. Ching, 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 ching. And then if God gives us that, it turns out pretty rotten. Because you see, at that point, what we are really focused on is the gift and not the giver. And what we need to do is we need to trust that whatever God is going to give us in that space is the good thing that we need. We need to trust in the giver. So then we see what happens. <laughs> what happens with, with Samuel later on? Because Samuel sees the king the people had chosen and he turned out pretty bad. So the Lord says to Samuel at Ramah, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way, for I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. I love this. I love the fact that God doesn't say which one. He doesn't say which one. And he doesn't send Samuel to the field where David was sitting looking after the sheep, does he? He sends him to his father's house because this is Samuel's expectation. He's going to go find someone who is head taller than everyone else. He's going to find someone who is attractive and who has the traits and the characteristics to lead the Israelite people because they will follow him. See, his concern is he knows they are a fickle people and they may not follow someone they don't like. God takes all of that into account, of course. 
but he picks someone that he knows whose heart will ultimately be ready to follow him. People of God, that is who we need to be. We need to be the ones who are ready to say to God, we're not going to reject you, we will follow. And so he goes, and he, so he says, Samuel says to God, how can I go? Because if Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And he says to him, take a heifer with you. And say, I've come to do a sacrifice and invite Jesse and his sons. And in that moment of righteousness and purity, I will show you, you are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Again, God is not being clear. Now, I, I, I want to forward the tape a little bit here. And I want to say to you, who is the one that God is indicating here today? Is God in the, Oh, he's calling. Is God, <laughs> better answer the phone. <laughs> it's you. Beat me to it. God is calling you. God is indicating you. Maybe not for this moment. Remember, he was anointed, but David was not made king straight away. He had to fight for that. But maybe God is putting it in your heart today to be the one that he indicates. So what happened with him? You see, this list is different, is similar, but different from what we see with Saul. Samuel went to David's father, Jesse. We get the mention of Kish, but we don't see Kish. He goes to David's father. Samuel does not go to David. The Lord rejected Eliab, despite the fact that he was, bip, head taller than everyone else. Then the Lord goes on to reject all seven of Jesse's sons. Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, God, just, just show me, just show me. You know, maybe you apply for a position or, or, or we're looking at a house or, or something. And you were, you were like, God, I'm, I, I, just, I just need you. And every one of the options that comes your way... God just knocks them out one by one. And you know that moment at the end of that feeling where you're like, now what? Did you know that's when God can really use us? That's when God can really, really take hold and go, oh, oh, now you're saying now what? Great. Now I'll show you. Because up until then, we were looking at all the attractive options. This job, this house. This car, this school, this. But then, once they're all eliminated and taken away, that is often when our hearts actually turn to God. Up until then, we were saying to God, God, I think that school is great because of da 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 But God's like, no, 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 hang on, you don't know. God knows. And so he's required, it requires him to take away those options and knock them out like a weird game of, of um, whack-a-mole. And... <laughs> And then it all goes. And when you finish the game of whack-a-mole, what's left? Nothing. Because that's the moment where we can actually say to God, now what? My personal experience has been that often that's when God brings forward what he actually had chosen in the first place. David was not among Jesse's sons. He was brought before Samuel from tending the sheep. David had the role of a servant, 
Remember Saul went to find the donkeys? He took the servant with him. It was his job to round them up. Saul would have been a good council worker today, I think. You know, one of the ones that watches, the other ones digging the hole. That's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. And yet he gets anointed. And when the uncle came and said, what were you doing over near Samuel's house? The servant goes, "Um, we were finding donkeys. I don't know if he knew. I presume he, he might have known what was going on. But the servant is the one who is asked question and responds. Not so. Here, David is summoned like a servant. David appears obediently like a servant. David submits like a servant. Because who is he actually serving? That's right. That was what prepared him for this. And so this is why God sometimes doesn't choose the, choose the one that's a head taller than everyone else. That's most attractive. That's the nicest singer. God chooses the one who has that servant heart. And friends, I'm encouraging each of us to take that upon ourselves. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon David when he was anointed. And he didn't have a public ministry, did he? In fact, the ministry he would go on to have. I love this. Saul went out and spoke with the prophets. And that became a saying in Israel. The word tells us that whenever somebody was missing and nobody knew where they were, they went, oh, he's with Saul among the prophets. Isn't that interesting? Because everybody knew. (laughs) It was public. David secretly becomes Saul's worship leader to bring him a soothing song when he was tormented by an evil spirit. Do you think that that was a public ministry? Not at all. It was a healing ministry. It was a consoling ministry. It was a ministry in obedience and danger. Because there was the king that was about to be deposed being comforted by the king that was about to take his seat. Sorry, darling. I want to conclude with these words from Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over all these virtues put on love, which bind them together in perfect unity. Now here's the point. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Thank you, Kimmy. God has chosen His people. And he calls us holy, dearly loved. David sat at the feet of the one who would one day try to take his life. And he played worship. Worship that we have in our Bibles today. In the book of Psalms. 
in his presence, in the presence of his enemy, David praised the Lord. And the evil and the hardship and the danger in that room diminished. And God's glory and grace was made great. This is the kind of kings and queens that God wants from his people. Ones who will look at the adversity in front of us and praise the Lord. Ones who will sit together in unity despite the fact that maybe we don't agree with everything. But if we agree on one thing and that is that we are sinners and need redemption in Christ Jesus. Then we are ready to show compassion, forgiveness and bind it all together in love. There is a challenge to us in this community, dear friends. God is bringing 10,000 households in the next 10 years. People who maybe have had to go far from their homes, from their families, because they can't afford to live where they are, and yet they can afford a house here. Schools calling teachers, clinics calling medical practitioners. Are we ready? Are our hearts ready to be called from the fields of Pimpama, of Ormo, of Jacob's Well, to respond, to be there, to praise the Lord? That's what this whole Samuel section has been about for me. Us as a people being ready to step up and to recognize that God is doing great things among us. Don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for all that which we are already doing. We are stepping up in a big way. But I'm saying, don't get comfortable. If you're comfortable this morning at church, don't get comfortable. Because in our discomfort, God can do great things. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you are at work in our lives. And we ask you for those moments where we are charged and called to go beyond ourselves. Lord, let us experience a little bit of discomfort in your house here today. Not the kind of discomfort that makes us say, I don't want to be here. But the kind of discomfort that makes us say, I want to, I want to live out your love, your grace, your presence. And sometimes I need to go somewhere else to do that, to express that. Let this be our refueling station where we come back to a loving community that embraces us and holds us. Where we share with each other our victories as our friends did today during our God moments. But where we know and are prepared to go from to see your will being done in the lives of all those around us. And maybe, just maybe, we might find some who want to come back here with us to be refueled. So equip us with a deep understanding of this, I pray in Jesus' name. And the people of God say, Amen.